Hello, and welcome to Storyteller In-Depth, a podcast where we go behind the scenes to learn more about the School of Communications, Media Arts, and Designs, People, Places, and Things. I'm your host, Pat Quigley, and in today's episode, we have Shema Benembark, a graduate of our publishing, book, magazine, and electronic program. With an incredible career in journalism and publishing, Shema has written a book titled Halal Sex, which explores several important themes that she will get into in this episode. Stick around. Thank you, Shema, so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So just before we begin, can you just introduce yourself and the types of professional roles you've had? Sure. So I have worked in the books and magazine industry for um, over 10 years. I've done, I've held various roles. So um, I have a degree, I have multiple degrees in literature, creative writing, uh, publishing, and creative nonfiction and journalism. But um, I've worked in different capacities. <clears throat> like, for example, I was an events manager at the Walrus for a few years. I was an editorial fellow um, a few years before that at the Walrus. Uh, I've done business development, brand communications. Um, I've been uh, an editor um, at Toronto Life and Broadview Magazine. I was also an editor for a few years when I lived in Montreal um, for children's book publishers, two different ones. And so I feel like I've kind of um, done a lot of different jobs in the magazine and book industry, which was always my plan. Cool. So like, take us back to what initially sparked your interest in like writing and publishing. Writing. Um, I have this, uh, this funny memory about when I was in high school. Um, I was a bit of a class clown and didn't really, the only thing I enjoyed and was good at was uh, the literature class and everything else I was goofing off. And um, one day I was kicked out of class and um, I had uh, my literature teacher came by and was like, why don't you use this time more productively and gave me like a notebook and, and she's like, try writing how you feel. And so I just started writing. And I think that's really the start of when I began to think of myself as somebody that would like to write. Um, I felt like it was the first time I felt I enjoyed something that I was, you know, doing at school. Cool. And what about the publishing aspect? Like, why, why that? Um, well, in terms of, um, magazine publishing, I was in love with print for ages. Um, and I decided that I wanted to make a living in this sector. And there's there are very few opportunities or um, a way in which writers can actually write full time in Canada. And so I decided that I wanted to be part of the industry that helps storytelling and um, highlighting social ills and what have you. And that's magazines. 
So by the time that this episode gets released, your book, Halal Sex, will be available for purchase. Uh, can you describe to listeners what the book is about and take us through the process from your motivation to write this book to putting all the pieces together for it? Yeah, so Halal Sex came to me as an idea um, when I moved to Canada in 2004. I was um, I grew up in Morocco, in Africa, and... Um, it's a Muslim majority country and was raised in a very specific way. I was told that um, I had to be, as a, as a woman, as a Muslim woman, I had to preserve my virginity and my purity, et cetera, in order to, um, for a husband, but in order to maintain my like social standing and all of that stuff. Or there's like good girls and there's like bad girls, right? Um, and the interesting thing was that in Muslim majority countries, uh, sex outside of marriage is punishable by law um, in different forms. Um, I can get you some <clears throat> facts that I actually have just laying around. Um, yeah, so like, for example, in Morocco, you can go to jail for two years for having consensual sex outside of marriage. In Nigeria, you can get caned and um, 100 lashes and go to jail for a year. And in Saudi Arabia, um, flogging is common for that type of crime, quote unquote, and a death sentence through stoning would be acceptable as well. So I knew that it was a big deal over there to have sex outside of marriage um, first, and that the only um, permissible and legal type of union is between a cis heterosexual man and a cis heterosexual woman who are bound by the laws of marriage. And so I realized that left out a huge amount of people and a huge variety of, you know, uh, relationships. But it was only once I came to Canada, like I said, in 2004, where I began to see that there are different types of being, uh, different types of being a Muslim and different types of being a human and a woman and, um, that it was really very restrictive to say that the only that unless you you fell into that very specific box of heterosexual cis married married relationships that you were destined for hellfire <laughs> was um just became more and more unacceptable to me and i was curious to see what um how it affected the Muslim women and gender expansive people that were living here in uh, Canada and the US and whether that mentality and those restrictions kind of immigrated with them. And so I um, put out a call in several different formats like on Reddit and Facebook groups and different Muslim organizations on their social media asking um, telling them that I was writing, I was working on a project such as this one, and that I was open to having conversations with anybody that wanted to tell me about their, the way they had reconciled their sexual freedoms with the restrictions of the faith in a country that doesn't punish sex outside of marriage or same-sex marriage or trans relationships and that type of thing. And got a bunch of um, people who wanted to talk. So had like, this is, five years that I've been working on this this project and so I've spoken to dozens and dozens of 
women and non-binary people and trans people and um, some men asked to talk and I, you know, didn't take them in. But I also um, had to specific, specifically focus on the, the people that were living in North America. So I, I got some requests to talk with people that were like in the UAE, for example. And I did take those calls and have those conversations. But in the end, I was like, I can't include you in the book because it has a very specific geographic frame. Um, and so after years of like uh, interviews, I went um, for a whole month traveling across the continent to meet um, six of the people that ended up in the book and to do in-person interviews and, and meet their families sometimes and, and just see where they live and all of that. All of these things are also concealed because only one of the six people is using her real name. Um, and now that those conversations and, and um, those interviews you know, have turned into this book. So it's like they're six separate profiles of five women, five cis women, and one non-binary person and how they've worked through these issues. Wow. So like when sharing these personal stories by the participants, did you notice uh, some common themes that intertwined within each story? Oh, definitely. There was, um, they all have a, a, a love of the faith. None of them are actually people that want to leave Islam or have, you know, there's a, there's certain Muslims that call themselves ex-Muslims. This is not them. These are people that do love the faith, that do believe in the faith, just aren't necessarily finding uh, a space within it that allows them to freely be themselves. And I blame the patriarchy, the Muslim patriarchy. It's not the Quran and it's not God and all of that stuff. It's just interpretations that have made it so restrictive. Um, and so there's also shame. There's the feeling of shame that's like across many of them and the shame of, of being um, attracted to the same sex or the shame of having sex, heterosexual sex outside of marriage and, and letting down your family. Um, and there was also a lot of grief for um, love, the love of your family being conditional upon this kind of, you know, behavior. Right. And so, like, based on these themes, what do you hope that readers will come to understand and take away for after reading your book? So this book is meant to have, like, start... I don't want to say start. There's a lot of other, you know, writers that have written about this topic. Um, Irshad Manji, Amina Wadud, Mona Al-Tawahi, who wrote the foreword for my book. Um, what I meant to say is that I'd like this book, Halal Sex, to continue the conversation of having open a, an open dialogue about sex and sex education and um, realizing that keeping information from our young people and you know, our women, but also men, like they're just, the men are left to their own devices and pornography, et cetera, and all of that stuff. And um, that we'll realize that we're only hurting ourselves, we're only hurting our community, we're only hurting our people by not being 
honest about orgasms and how to have them and how to have safe sex and um, those types of things that it's just like you, you're not supposed to have it before sex and it's such a taboo thing so we're not going to talk about it and therefore even those people even those women that do wait until marriage many of them find themselves at a loss because they don't know how to have sex they don't know how to talk about sexuality they don't know how to ask or advocate for their pleasure or um just have a healthy dynamic with their let's say you know spouse so i i'd really i hope it kind of shows people like that just because you make something taboo doesn't mean that it's gonna go away or not happen and that the best mm -hmm. way to confront this is to actually be open about it and talk about it and educate ourselves for sure and what what ultimately made you want to write a book about this topic like why did you want to bring awareness to this um well i start the the, the prologue and the epilogue um, kind of tell my story a bit and like why me and, and why is it that I'm interested in this topic and why I, I was um, why I wanted to write about it. And one of the reasons was that um, I felt like being growing up in becoming an adult, let's say in Canada, because I was um, I came here for university and then stayed. Um, I. I realized that I was all those things I had been told about, you know, being a good girl, being a good Muslim and, you know, um, always being worried about like my virginity being stolen and, or, you know, like that the only men um, that would have sex with me and not marry me are the men that don't respect me. And, you know, that kind of thing, it, it limited a lot of the experiences that I had, I can't, I, I, I had to like work through a lot of fear and letting people in, you know, or dating non-Muslims, for example, for a while I was, I thought, you know, I was, I was only comfortable being in relationships with like, um, Muslim men or men that, you know, like I knew of the community and everything. And then I realized this is all like, you know, just blah, blah, blah. That's been fed to me like back then. And so, I'm almost 40 now and I've had multiple partners and I've had very good sex and all of that, but I did have to learn a lot of it and experience a lot of it through trial and error and feeling lonely and, and misunderstood and just like lost and spending so much time like at the library trying to figure out things that weren't, you know, exp explained to me properly. And I just don't think that um, that's necessary. I think that like, there's one of the characters or one of the people characters makes it sound fictional. One of the people in the book, she talks about how she kind of asks like, how amazing would it be to like be taught about your body and about your sexuality and your gender and who you are and how to talk about your, your desires instead of like being forced to like Google things in secret and not, you know, know things and not, you know, and find yourself in like potentially situations that are unsafe. Like how great would it be if we were just like told by the people who love us and care for us, for example, our, our parents 
your grandmothers or aunts and etc what it's like to you know to to grow and figure out your own your own path without shame and um potentially being disowned thank you so much for for sharing that with us um thank you (laughs) Um, so you've received grants from the Canadian Council of the Arts and the Ontario Arts Council uh, for your book. Can mm-hmm. you describe to future authors that might not have considered this a bit about why accessing grants can be a helpful step to take when writing a book? I think that every writer should be applying for these grants. I think that it's such a um it's such an unfair and difficult experience to do a job that isn't seen as a full-time salaried experience that takes so much from you um like i spent so i I spent five years on this project but throughout that time i had a full-time job because i had to pay my bills i had to pay my um you know groceries etc and that took a huge toll on my mental health, took a huge toll on like my physical health and my relationships and all this stuff, because all I was doing was working. Um, so until I got the grants, um, which was about, I think $30,000, I was allowed to take off some time from work. And at the time I was at the Walrus and they, you know, they were very kind and, and generous about it and excited for the book. So they let me take the time I needed. Um, and was able to focus on it full time due to the grant. Um, there's no way I could have done this otherwise. Like when it got to the point of like traveling for an entire month to see these people and interview them, and then like six months or whatever later, just like writing from nine in the morning to five in you know or five. What am I saying? From nine in the morning to like ten at night or whatever. <laughs> Um, you know, there's no way I could have focused on anything else. And so I think that I, I definitely think that there should be like some sort of um, guaranteed basic income for writers. But barring that beautiful ideal, um, mm-hmm. grants are the best way to to allow you to take some time off of like, capitalist society in order to create art it's a really good thing to tell like future writers as well or people who are writing and wanting to get that book off the ground like it's it's a great piece of advice that obviously some people don't think about right off the hop Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. absolutely So, so as as a writer and an editor having worked with numerous publications how do you approach the article writing process hmm um, in terms of articles, actually in terms of any writing um, that I do, I write about things that upset me <laughs> most of the time. If something makes me angry enough, then I want to write about it. So there's a topic first that forms in my head, like let's say um, what, you know, let's say, uh, like let's say having a personal life and a dating life while having um, genital herpes, for example. That was like a thought that I had and I was like, how is it 
it must be because it's such a it's a topic that we make so much fun of in like the movies and pop culture and stuff like that like the last i, I watched uh, i rewatched the hangover recently and there was this like like flagrant joke about like oh you go to vegas whatever you go to whatever you do in vegas stays in vegas except for herpes and that's i was wondering how well, like what is it like for people who have genital herpes and there's like I don't have the the numbers now, but like there's it's such a common skin issue <laughs> that that people are so like embarrassed to talk about because they kind of conflate it with this like being um, dirty or sexually like promiscuous or things like that, and that nobody wants to admit to it because it's such a quote unquote gross thing that people make fun of. And so I went online and then started like researching forums. And like groups that people who have genital herpes um, that get together and they talk about it and what 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 they're saying and a lot of them are anonymous, but there's so much like pain there and it's like questions like, oh, I, I just started dating this guy, but I'm like mortified to tell him and I think I'm gonna have to break up with him before I do this or whatever or like I, I just got tested and it's positive I think you know this is the end of my life there's a lot of desperation in these kind of like conversations so that's like one place I started and realized that there was something to talk about there and um so then you you figure out if there's a story or like there's an issue to discuss and then you find people who are willing to talk to you about it so people from those forums, you know, to reach out to them and then be like, do you want to um, answer a few questions, participate in this article? And then you have to go and find specialists who will um, do like create the frame narrative, you know, like the how many facts, you know, can you get like a doctor about, um, you know, who deals with like uh, people who find out they have herpes, a therapist maybe. Um, and have them kind of like attest to the situation. And then once you've got all that kind of material, you tell the story. Wow. And like, it, it seems, in, when you break it down like that, it seems simple almost, mm -hmm. right? And to, to mm -hmm. find that niche subject and then just being able to grow off of it right yeah yeah exactly it's you know if something is interesting to you it's probably interesting to other people right and so like what what tips and tricks would you have for people uh to help them write articles and to share key messages or even to stay motivated to write i often uh will take classes just to brush up on my knowledge and i love doing that like um, you know, taking some, uh, like a creative writing course, you know, that's like, it's just one credit or whatever. Lots of universities do that, allow like mature students to take like one credit or two. Um, there's a lot of like interesting programs right now that are, you know, offering, uh, creative nonfiction writing classes and, and that type of thing. And even just the MFA that I did at, you know, the University of King's College, um, in creative nonfiction is those are great places to like start to help you stay on top of the writing and, and just thinking about it. And um, an MFA kind of like helps you put together a book, um, but you never know really what topic 
it is that might be book worthy. So I think just like keeping keeping up with um, the knowledge and like, you know, attending like even like the pan, uh, pandemic university, right? That's a, a really cool place to like take classes with like the, you know, um, specialists in, 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 you know, the sector right now, like big time journalists and editors are like teaching um, those virtual classes. And that, that helps you um, keep up with, with what's, what's new and what's cool and what's happening right now in, in, in the writing field. Um, and protect, I think, protect your creativity. It's very hard and I'm very privileged in many ways, but um, you know, like I know that there's, I have friends who wake up at like five in the morning and then, you know, have breakfast and they have like an hour where they just write before they actually have to start their full-time job, et cetera. Um, or in the afternoons or during the weekends or whatever, like um, just, I think protecting the impulse to create and write is really important. And don't let anybody tell you it's not as important because you have to like get a job and pay your bills and all that stuff. That's not as important. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I think about it in, in like my own aspect where, you know, I work in videography and I do a lot of video work and there was a bit of time where I was a little bit worried that, you know, I was kind of doing the thing I was most passionate about. And I was worried that, you know, that line would blur very fast right? Like, how do mm -hmm. I still enjoy the thing and also get money for the thing? Right? So Absolutely. I think that's a, that's a wonderful piece of advice to, you know, protect that creativity. Absolutely. And I want to be like, fully transparent, because I don't think enough people are about this stuff. Um, mm -hmm. I'm extremely privileged. My partner works at a TD bank and has a great full-time job and makes, you know, quite a bit of money. And so he takes care of us a lot of the time. Um, so I think it's unfortunate <laughs> that that's the situation, but you know, I, it's, it's not an easy life. And if you have like people who like, you have to have a strong network of people who care about you, family, friends, partners, whoever it is that are willing to also support you at times when, when you need it. For sure. I'm very thankful for the support system I have too. So I'm glad to, to hear you have one as well. Yeah. So you are a 2015 graduate of the Story Arts Center's publishing program. Did you find that this program helped you prepare for your success in the industry? Absolutely. Absolutely. I thought it was, um, before I came I, well, essentially, I was living in, a, in Montreal, and I came to Toronto to take that program because there wasn't anything similar in Quebec. And um, when I did my research, it seemed like the most interesting and the one that was going to target all the things that I wanted to learn further about the industry. And so aside from the fact that it's um, one of the few programs that actually employs people who still work in the industry. It's not just like professors who worked in a newspaper like, you know, 30 years ago or whatever. It's all the teachers um, are, are people who work in the industry. They're either editors or publishers or journalists or what have you. So it was valuable to get information and knowledge from them directly. And it also created a lot of contacts for me which is one of the big things that you can get from 
going to school for um, journalism or writing and, and that kind of thing. Uh, and a lot of these people have become friends at this point. Nice. And do you have like some some key takeaways from the program that you still use in your everyday? Yeah, there's one. Um, the um, program had Denise shown, she told us once, well, that was at the beginning of the program when I first started. She, she said, uh, look around you and um, make sure that you remember all these people, make sure that you become friends and that, you know, you get to know them because these are the people that you're going to see over and over again throughout the industry. And eventually someday, maybe the person sitting next to you right now is going to be in a position to like hire you for a long form journalism piece or, you know, the person in front of you could be uh, the publisher of a company and, and hire you to become an editor or whatever. And that networking and keeping your peers um, close to you is one of the most valuable things in the industry. And she was very right. This industry completely runs on contacts, connections, peers, friends, knowing each other and recommending people. Wow. Yeah, it's, re it's really great advice you can get through some of the professors at the college that those little glimmers, right? They, they come back mm -hmm. every so often and it twinks in your head and you're like, oh, I remember when so-and-so said this and I've got to remember it for tomorrow or the next day. And it's awesome to, to see that. Yeah, exactly. Like at this point, I mm -hmm. know tons of people in the industry and have friends and it's just, it, it really, that's what it is. It's a huge part. So kind of slowly wrapping up, do you have any like future book plans or are there other stories that you would be excited to explore in a book format? I do. I recently started thinking about a second book and I'm working on the book proposal um, at the moment. Um, and it's sort of in the same um theme of sorts uh, as halal sex. Uh, I, I've always known that um, in Islam, but also in Judaism and in, in um, Christianity, uh, because the patriarchy runs through all of them, um, that women aren't allowed to be imams, or a woman can't be a pope, or she can't be a rabbi, but in Toronto, I know there's there's some in uh, female rabbis, but it's it's a progressive kind of like look at the at the faith, and so um, in the last like five years or something like that, there's been a handful of Muslim women across the globe that decided that they wanted to become imams. There's one in the Netherlands, one in France, one in California, um, Denmark, um, and they've been. Um, they get a lot of hate mail, a lot of death threats, those kind of things. And so I wanted to like write a book about feminism in Islam that's a bit more journalistic than halal sex. Halal sex is very narrative driven and very narrative based. Um, but this one I'd be interested in like writing it as like a sort of journalistic case study of, of how um, women imam around the world right now are helping Islam become more progressive and feminist. 
I'm looking forward to that for sure. Like I want to, I'm, I'm excited. A couple of years, right? Just a couple of years before yeah. that one comes out. <laughs> My partner was like, oh, can we take a break? <laughs> <laughs> oh. So kind of before we say goodbye, what is one of the biggest pieces of advice that you would give to someone who wants to prosper in this industry, either in writing books or writing for publishing? find your voice and stick to it be just be yourself um i think there were many years when you know i was becoming an adult here where i tried to fit in to what the majority looked like sounded like thought like until you know i realized that it's my voice as an immigrant it's my voice as a woman it's my voice as an arab as a muslim as all of those things that makes me unique and makes me um able to tell the stories that i can tell so if i could give anyone advice it's to find find your voice and who you are in this industry and just be that just be as genuine as you possibly can Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on Storyteller in depth today. Sounds good. It's really fun. Thanks for having me. Wow. What an insightful conversation. Thank you, Shema, for coming on the podcast and sharing such important information that surrounds the themes of your book. If you're interested in purchasing a copy of your own, Halal Sex is available now. We have other incredible stories coming your way in future episodes, so be sure to follow the podcast and check out our Instagram at StoryArtCenter, where you'll be notified of a new episode. Until next time, I'm your host, Pat Quigley, and this is Storyteller In Depth.